Hey, listeners, welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy, and I am happily your host for today's episode. I'm back from California, back with the team, and we're going to get right into the podcast right away. But I got to let you know that coming up Tuesday, May 9th, we have a new event that we get to be a part of. Specifically, Andy Steiger will be joining Logos. For those of you who don't know what Logos is, it is an incredibly intuitive Bible study software, much like eSword, but on a whole other level. Here's the reality. We often get so many questions about the Bible, like, how can I trust solid biblical answers? How do I organize my personal Bible study time with God? What goes into writing Bible studies or preparing to teach the Bible? And lastly, what trustworthy tools and resources do I often use? We all understand that this can be overwhelming. So join us Tuesday, May 9th at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and learn how to approach studying the Bible with more confidence by applying best practices that ensure clarity and accuracy. Dig deeper in the Bible for key historical, social, and cultural contexts that bring evergreen relevancy and application in today's ever-changing world. Learn about Logos Bible software and how to use this tool to find answers with the click of a button. Stop relying on Google for theology. Invite anyone you know who is hungry for the Lord and the riches of his word. We hope to see you there. For more details, you can head to apologeticscanada.eventbrite.com. That's apologeticscanada.eventbrite.com. That's all I got for you. Enjoy the episode. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy. I'm here today with Andy and Steve. Gentlemen, it is good to be back with you. Hello. Good to be with you, Troy. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> California was was a tough place to be. California dreaming. But yes, I am back from California, and it was it was an amazing trip. It's It's always an interesting one to kind of explain to people. Because what they're seeing is just the highlights. And if ever a ministry trip felt like the way social media is, there's so much more to it. Um, yeah. Yes, we take these kids to Disneyland. Yes, we take them to Universal Studios and to the beaches and to Hollywood. But some of those drives, we spend an hour or more with these kids on, you know, on the buses. Or you're spending an entire day with, with kids side by side while they're conquering a fear of going on something like a crazy roller coaster and then it's really interesting how god just sets up opportunities like that for you to talk about fears to talk about their home life to talk about um you know you got a kid from the prairies who's never left the prairies standing in front of the ocean with thousands of people that you know they've never seen before in their lives and all of a sudden they're like man i feel i feel so small like you know, they've never had that real moment where they've actually thought about their existence. And and so it's it's those moments that have been really, really cool to just have those conversations. But then um, I'll also do three, you know, three speaking sessions and then I'll do a concert where we bring them to another church in um, just outside of L.A. And they get to meet some Christian kids. They get to meet other non-Christian kids. They just meet and just we have this really unique opportunity to share the gospel in a setting that feels like less of a less of a setup because you know they could completely ignore me but tomorrow they go to universal so it's like all right well i guess i'll listen to this guy <laughs> but it but it's been really really um crazy just uh you know i've done this now three years on this trip and every year god does something either new in the kids or new in the staff so all that to be said, it was an incredible trip. I'm very happy to yeah. be back. And um, yeah, that back sounds awesome. You know, I, I'm an introvert. And so just 
hearing you kind of lay out all that you did there, just listening to it makes me feel exhausted. <laughs> Fair. It is exhausting. It is. It reminds me, Troy, that there are many times in the Ministry of Apologetics Canada that you just wish you could kind of pull back the ministry curtain and just let people in to see the uh, amazing work that happens behind the scenes, if you will, the different events that we're at, uh, speaking, sharing, and seeing God at work that keeps us doing what we do. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. for sure. You know, speaking speaking of having these conversations with, with people in you know, unsuspecting settings. Sometimes we get conversations or emails sent to us or questions just through, you know, different events that we're doing that people ask like, hey, could you talk about this on the podcast? And, you know, like many of these kids, there there's a conversation of existence, but also, all right, if if God is so great, then why does sin exist? And this is actually one of the questions that we received and what we're going to be talking about today. Um, we got a question that said, did God create suffering? Why did God create human beings knowing they would sin and be condemned to hell? So as I was saying to the guys, AC only gets the easy questions. So, <laughs> so, so today that, that, that's a conversation we're, we're going to have. You know, this is a this is a great question. This is a question that I've thought a lot about. I'm sure many people have at various levels. And I... And I just want to say, like, I, I, I get the question, even, even in asking, did God create suffering? And, and, I, and I think what this person's really getting at is, if God knows what people are going to do, and yet they, they, you know, God wills them into existence, you know, is, is then he ultimately responsible for the suffering that, that's taking place? I think it's a, it's a good mm -hmm. question. And it's a, it's a question that I first encountered when I was uh, a kid, really young to Christianity. And I had a friend that was living in my neighborhood and he lived in these apartments in a really rough, like I lived in a poor part of town, but I mean, he lived in the poor part of the poor town. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. Right. Wow. Right. I mean, this, he had a rough life, man. He was part of a single parent, you know, family with his mom. I never even heard about his dad. Mm -hmm. uh, and he was one of those houses that, you know, if you were over there, they were eating soup and they had like one couch and he had a mattress that was on the ground. Like it was rough. Wow. And, you know, he, he was a friend that I, I loved dearly. He and I went bike riding a lot together and and I remember one day he said to me, you know, because he knew that I'd been going to church and was just like, man, he just said, I wish God hadn't created me. Like, mm -hmm. I, I, I'd rather, I'd rather not be existing, you know, particularly with how much his, his life was, was challenging. His life sucked. You know, there was a lot of suffering. He's like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that I'd really want to exist. I, I, I wish I hadn't been created jeez yeah and that's the kind of a thought even um i wrestled with at some point in my life when my life was really hard um so i mean i'm not saying like I, i'm not trying to sort of invalidate what your friend was feeling but i say that only to point out that this is the kind of feeling that a lot of people kind of wrestle with Anytime there is some significant suffering in your life, and many people mm -hmm. are familiar with suffering, 
um, right from the moment of birth, right? I mean, even the birth itself is a pretty traumatic experience for the baby. So life is full of suffering <laughs> and a lot of people... <laughs> That, that was an interesting thought you, like there, Steve. I guess, I guess I'm thankful that I have no memory of birth. Thank you, Steve. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> could, you, could you imagine if we had a memory of birth? We'd just be like, I, like everybody needs counseling. You get counseling, you get, yeah. everybody gets counseling. <laughs> mother, yeah, Mother's Day would be significantly different. <laughs> Uh, no, the show's over. I'm leaving. Right. You know, it's, so, it's so interesting. Um, <laughs> trying to move on from that. <laughs> giving me nothing. Um, it, but you, you know, you, raise, you both raise a really good point because it's it's often yeah in those traumatic <laughs> moments that people really start to question. It's also interesting though that up until that point, you didn't care about God. You didn't have a mind for God whatsoever, but then in those tragic moments, it's it's kind of classic, right? Like the amount of stories of people that they're in the middle of a tragedy, something's about to happen, and what the name they scream out, people are like, "Oh my God, God help me, God help me!" And then it's a near miss, and then they just move on with their lives, right? And and so as like as we were preparing, I was you know just reading a little bit, and I came across this clip with Neil deGrasse Tyson, this you know, famous American astrophysicist. And he starts talk. they start asking him about, you know, Christianity or why he's an atheist. And if you know anything about Neil, he doesn't like to be considered um, an atheist because of the baggage that, because of the philosophical baggage that comes along with it. But what Neil did say was, my issue with the notion of God being, you know, all powerful, all knowing and, and all good is, when I look at these crazy tragedies going on in the world, it, it leads one to question either God didn't know it was going to happen or God's not all good. Because if he's all good, then why would he want innocent people to suffer and die? And so, it, and, he, and he said, it's a very rational thought and rational way to look at it that this is why I can't believe in the existence of God, but I go, can't go and say I'm an atheist because I'm not in hatred to something that I don't believe exists to begin with. And I was like, okay, this is an argument that comes from a position that, okay, we could actually have a conversation. And I think that's, yeah. that's really where it starts. You know, if listeners saw the clip yesterday that we posted, Andy was saying, we need to talk. And this is one of those many conversations. So that's why we're here. Yeah. And on this, this topic in particular, you know, that idea of talking and needing to listen, you know, good talking is about being a good listener, right? It's engaging mm -hmm. and, you know, where are people coming from and, and what are they, what are they dealing with? This, this shocked me, by the way, working in, you know, Apologetics Canada, working with Apologetics Canada, you know, and getting into these sorts of conversations with people on a regular basis. What I began to notice was a theme that people might bring up all sorts of questions that they're struggling with. But at the end of the day, the, like they all kind of come back to this foundational question of evil and suffering and particularly uh, is God good. Mm. And you see this, you know, not just with Neil deGrasse Tyson, but people like uh, Bart Ehrman, for example, who also doesn't want the label of atheist prefers agnostic, but you'll often hear him critiquing uh, the Bible, but yet his major critique is written in a, a book, his book, uh, God's Problem, which is, why is there evil? 
why 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 do people suffer that that that's that's the the foundational problem that he struggles with and i i see that by and large in the questions that we ask you know nine out of ten times if you think about the questions people are asking if you if you dig deep enough if you listen long enough it'll go back to this question it's a foundational question for for people yeah and it's a unique question in that it's not merely an intellectual question right it's something that you feel and we are as much as we like to think of ourselves as really rational beings we are but we're also emotional beings and yeah. when yeah. and often our emotions will trump what we kind of rationalize and if mm -hmm. i've been in sales before i said this before but I've been in sales before, and if I learned nothing from that experience, it is that people tend to make emotionally driven decisions, and then they try to rationalize it afterwards. Um, so I'm not saying that, you know, therefore everybody is disingenuous or anything like that when they pretend to be rational. I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is that we are emotional creatures, and we really need to factor that into account when we experience uh, yeah. evil and suffering. It, that's why this is such a difficult topic, because not only do you need a philosopher and theologian to deal with the intellectual side of things, mm -hmm. you really need a pastor and a counselor to deal with the emotional side of things, because it sure. leaves scars, emotional scars that you need to deal with. Well, maybe um, I would love to ask you guys this question, because this might just get just giving what people sometimes are asking you know, they're, they're, maybe they're not asking, they're not asking about the existence of Jesus or the, you know, they, they're not usually asking that, but it's, it is the, really the sovereignty of God that is being brought into question. But I would love to ask you guys on, on kind of more of a personal note, what, how did you come to believing in the sovereignty of God, giving, giving, you know, your two different backgrounds, your different upbringings, you both have come to this you know, all three of us have come to this conclusion that we believe in the sovereignty of God um, and and that, you know, as much as sin exists, it sin existing does not remove God's, you know, God's power, God's sovereignty. So what was it for you guys? Wow, what a great uh, question. <laughs> yeah, it's a, you know, I don't know that I have in a, an immediate kind of moment I would say that God's sovereignty has been for me something of a process of of uh, thinking and understanding about the the nature of who God is which which I th which is key to to what we're talking about here as as we get into this question because so so take a question like this that you often see this when people are, are wrestling with a topic there's assumptions that are kind of baked in and with this question in particular, you know, it's like, uh, you know, did, you know, did God cause, to, you know, is God, is God responsible for suffering? Did God cause suffering? And, you know, it's one of those moments where once you start to think about it, well, now you're asking, okay, when I think about the sovereignty of God, uh, what is God responsible for? Mm -hmm. Especially what is God responsible for in light of my own sovereignty? And in light of my own ability to choose. And then it starts to change the equation. So as we start to get more into this question, we'll start to ask, okay, does God cause suffering or does God allow suffering? And 
what what's the distinction there that needs to be appreciated to start to uh, get a grasp of this question? Before I go deeper, though, I want to throw back to you know Steve. Maybe you want to flesh out you know your own thoughts on sovereignty. Yeah, I guess for me, God's sovereignty and goodness was those were never in question intellectually, but often those like I questioned those emotionally. Mm. Um, so it took me a long time. Like it didn't take too long to sort of affirm, yes, God is sovereign, God is good, God is all loving. Like these were all the pieces, in a sense, that I started with. Right. But it did take me a long time to actually put those all together and actually come to a place where, when I'm suffering, I can go back to what I know and say, okay, I I do believe these things. Um, it hurts. I, I know enough now not to blame God for all the suffering in the world, mm-hmm. uh, but it does puzzle me at times. Like, why is this happening? Um, and one of the tricky aspects of this is anytime you ask that kind of a question, why would so-and-so, you're really inquiring into the mind of that person, and you're really not going to know for sure until that person tells you. Yeah. So what it comes down to then is trust. Like, do I trust God to have good reasons to allow these kinds of sufferings? Um, so, yeah, I, I'll just leave it there for now. But No, that's good. No, uh, what, what I was really trying, I hope you guys don't think I was trying to set you up, but what I was really trying to convey to people is just there is that intellectual component that has to meet the heart. First and first and foremost, mm-hmm. and I think that's where this conversation should really start is if a person is asking this purely from intellectualism or purely from emotional, you're you're gonna miss it because it it is a marriage of both of them, and then time over the course of time that really allows a person to see God for who He really is. But apart from that, the best way to begin is really looking at the origins of sin. You know, what, like how did through scripture looking in Genesis, sin entering the world? That is, that's an important point, uh, Troy. And you can see this with somebody like Degrassi. So, Degrassi's bringing up this idea of evil. You got Airmen bringing up this idea of suffering. And now you have to ask yourself, well, what do you mean by evil? Mm-hmm. Well, what do you mean by suffering? And what kind of a worldview can make sense of that concept of evil, can make, can make sense of that concept of suffering. Now, that leads into a conversation that that I don't want to go down because then we're not going to get at the heart of the question that's being asked. Yep. But I just want to raise that just simply to say that on atheism, and I've argued this before, I've talked about this, but, you know, and if people really want to hear more, you know, reach out to us. We'll send you either where we've talked about it or, or we'll, we'll come at it again for you. But the idea being that on, on atheism, at least with an honest atheist, somebody like Rosenberg, and there's many others that are honest about this, there is no concept of, of evil or, or suffering on uh, that purely physical worldview in which God doesn't exist. Yeah. There, there's, there's no right or wrong. Yet, there's many of us, myself included, 
and people like Airman and, and Degrassi that think that, no, actually suffering does exist. No, there is such a thing as evil, and we need to make sense of it. And I would say even the person that's writing this question to us, uh, clearly they're convinced that evil's real and is terrible, and they're trying to make sense of that. And so this is where I mm-hmm. would argue as a Christian that the Christian worldview is going to provide the most adequate way of making sense of what you know both intellectually and emotionally to be true of the world yeah yeah that's good i mean that's so important what you brought up andy i want to highlight it one more time and i think what's really good about this question is that you recognize evil to begin with because i've come across people um you know in my readings and what have you, like Rosenberg, for example, who actually deny the existence of evil. And there are, you know, Buddhists, for example, who will deny that good and evil, those are illusions and things like that. And um, it's a really hard sell, isn't it? When you come to somebody who is suffering from some kind of evil to tell them that this is actually just an illusion. Um, But what what I love about the the theistic worldview and the Christian worldview in particular is that the Christian worldview takes suffering and evil very seriously, yeah. so much so that at the heart of the Christian message is a crucified Messiah. Exactly. That's how seriously we take the, the suffering and evil of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess with where, with where we're sitting at now is like, okay, we've made the acknowledgement that first and foremost— to answer this question, you have to get to the heart of whether or not you recognize, like you said, suffering exists, whether or not you believe in good and evil. So if you can, so if a person then says, okay, yes, I believe that there is good and evil. I believe in, I believe in suffering. Where do, where do we go from there? Well, now first, uh, Somebody particularly writing this question is is first saying, now notice this often is the case, that evil exists, suffering exists. And it's it's fascinating that often they'll come to that conclusion before they'll make that secondary step you were you brought in there, uh, Troy, that there's good. So mm. often it's just like there's evil, right? And then the real question then becomes, is there good? Uh, like, mm, and particularly, I think the heart of this is, is God good? And can God be good in a world in which there's so much suffering and evil? Now, this then is a really weird logical move that a lot of people will move, make, and that I've seen uh, where they'll just assume, well, they'll say, "Well, because there's evil, uh, clearly uh, God can't be good. Therefore." God can't exist. And what they don't realize is in doing this, like making these logical moves that they end up eroding the very foundation from which you can even talk about, talk about evil. But what I want to do is, yeah, it's self-defeating. But what I want to do, because when we're, by the way, when we're talking about evil, and I just want to get clear on what we mean by this. uh, And when we, when we're talking about morality in general, good and evil, we're talking about relationship. And we're talking about relationship between persons. Outside of relationship between persons, good and evil mean nothing. Uh, they, they, there is, you know, rocks aren't in a good or bad relationship. You know, they just exist. But persons exist within relationships to persons, and those relationships can be good or bad relationships. Mm-hmm. That we can have a good, re- good relationship, or we can have a bad or evil relationship, and from those bad or evil relationships comes suffering. Mm-hmm. Now, the the thing that 
I've come to terms with as I've wrestled with this question, as I've thought about it, and I have thought a lot about this question. So I, I'm, that's why I'm, I'm glad that we're talking about this and, and enjoying this conversation. And that is that at the, at the heart of what we're getting at is the goodness of God. It is God good. And this, I think, is something that's very difficult, particularly from a biblical perspective, for us to wrap our minds around. We, we are so immersed in evil, and we are so immersed in suffering and broken relationship, it's very difficult for us to get a grasp on goodness, to get a grasp on God's love. So when the Bible says that God loves you, I think it's really hard for us to fully appreciate the depths of God's love for us. So when the Bible says that God is love, that God's essence is defined as being love, or again, not to get too you know out there, God is relational in essence, but that relational essence is right, good relationship. It's who God is, and that God loves you. This is very challenging for us to fully appreciate the ramifications. I think it's shown in the confusion that we see today, right? When we say things like love is love, and what we often mean by that is if you love somebody, you will affirm whatever that person does um, and whatever, however that person feels. But anybody who is in, <laughs> has been in a good relationship knows that, you know, a loving relationship doesn't always look rosy. A loving relationship is one that actually takes into account. See, love is really connected with this idea of good, right? Because what, what is love? It's good relationship. Well, then what is good? And it, in order for us to sort of, maybe this is a very poor way of saying it, but to get to some good, there could be any number of sufferings along the way that you have to experience. Like parents know this all too well, right? Uh, I would love for my kids to have as many chocolate bars as they want, but I know for one, it's going to lead to my suffering because I'm going to be the one who has to clean up whatever that they you know can't keep inside of their body. But then it's also they're suffering. Like they're not going to flourish if they do a lot of this. So I have to stop them at some point. They'll see that as suffering, but I know that it's for their good, right? So mm -hmm. love doesn't always look rosy like that. It can involve a lot of different kinds of, you know, sufferings or, um, I wouldn't necessarily call it evil, but it's not always love. Isn't always easy. Love isn't always simple and monolithic. So, so let's tease this out. And I to tease it out, I want to throw it to you, Troy. You've asked us lots of questions, so I'll <laughs> ask you a deep philosophical question. Let's go. <laughs> Who you have two children? Yeah. Who is responsible for their existence, and why do they exist? <laughs> well, <laughs> that is a very, very good question. Um, as far as their ex as far as their immediate existence, I mean, you know, when a man loves a woman. <laughs> 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 I guess what what I basically say is like Araya didn't and you know Zakai didn't just 
show up out of nowhere. Like it wasn't just poof, they showed up, a loon came and they dropped them on our porch. Like there was. <laughs> By the way, that's how it works in Canada. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's a loon. <laughs> it's, a it's a loon. loon. Yeah, it's a loon. It's a, yeah, or a Canadian geese. Either or. Uh, the geese, the geese are more of the rough packages. That's Purolator. <laughs> Shout out to all the Purolator workers who are listening. Anyways, um, I think I, I think sometimes you can over, you know, we can over intellectualize it. You know, Jasmine and I played a role in their immediate existence, but the ability to create came from the Lord. The ability to procreate has has come from God, and then He's given that that responsibility, given that ownership up to us. He said, go be fruitful and multiply, right? He didn't go and say, all right, Adam, now, now you're going to have, now these children are just going to start popping up out of the rocks and all over the place. He didn't say that. He said, you can now go and enjoy this, this gift of um, creating on a micro scale. You are not the creator, but you get to be creative. So, but, and what, what is the foundation of that being a, creator especially in life is mm. relationship yeah. but it's not just any kind of relationship right it's uh, a loving relationship yeah where from your love can give birth to this relationship in which a, a child yeah. that you love deeply and so if you were to if my kid was to ask dad why why do i exist my answer would be you know, or to say it a different way, if my child were to ask dad, why did you and mom have me? You know, my answer would be because, because I love you. And what I yeah. find interesting about this, by the way, is any other answer would, would be unacceptable. Yeah, I, I agree. I 100% agree. I, that's what I mean is I think we can get so, we try and intellectualize it so much like, well, it was, it was God. God willed me to, God willed me to, it's like, no, God gave, God gave us dominion. This is for me what kind of drives me crazy sometimes is Genesis flat out he gave us dominion. He gave us uh, uh, the opportunity to not just be here but to dwell here, to actually play a role in our experience, which is why he's like, hey, don't eat from that tree. Like I'm not a bad parent. I'm going to tell you don't run across the street. But ultimately I can't hold your hand forever. You know, my kids, if they get, you know, they turn 20 and they're like, man, forget what my dad said when I was a kid. I'm going to sprint across the highway. I can't always be there. Right. And it's not meaning I'm not thinking of you. It's not meaning I'm not mindful of you. And I think that's sometimes where, where, when you start talking about the suffering, when you start talking about these tragedies, it's as if people think because that God was just sitting there you know, not paying attention, not having a look at anything that was going on in the world, and that he's not even hurt, hurt or grieved by it. Now, I, I want to take, I want to do another thought experiment, but this time uh, I'll send it to Steve. This is one that I've been thinking about lately, and I, I, I told, I told you guys about a little while ago, but I, I want to bring it up again because I think it's uh, pertinent to this conversation. And I, and I want to know, Steve, you know, your thoughts on this. But let's imagine that you were uh, given the knowledge. Okay, you have two kids, Steve. And, and let's imagine that you were given the knowledge of your children's lives. Mm -hmm. Would that change you know, the choice to have children. Uh, I have the knowledge of them and I, it, it is within my power at least 
God will arrange arrange things such that I will have these exact kids. Is that sort of what you're saying? Right. The, okay. The kids you have. Yeah. Let's imagine before you had them that you knew their entire history. Right. Like what? Their, okay. How their life was going to pan out. How their life was going to play yeah, yeah. out. Uh, I w- I personally would say yes, even if I knew that their lives would pan out. Like even if I knew that they would one day walk away from me and resent me and hate me, I would not, still. And, but I'm also thinking just maybe you know that they're going to get divorced one day or that they're going to get mm-hmm. cancer or hit by a car. I don't know. Something terrible. Right. Yeah. They're going to suffer. Evil yeah. is going to take place. Yeah. Broken relationship. Now, yeah. here's. I, I, yeah. Oh, go ahead. So go ahead. Answer. Uh, and then I'll ask a second. The, the follow up. Yeah. <laughs> The, the short answer is yes, I, I still would. Now, here's my thinking, though. Now, tell me how this guy, mm-hmm. how this hits you guys. Knowing, imagine you knew your children's history. Would that encourage you to love them even more? Mm. Can I answer? Yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I was throwing it out there. <laughs> so if I'm being fully honest, knowing where, especially where I was at, with with kids i i think i probably would say no and it would break my heart because i'm trying to remove the fact that i know my kids now like if i had like i have to remove the emotional component that i'm with my kids now i can't imagine a life without my kids now but before when i didn't know who they were that as much as i still had this desire if i knew if i saw them and i watched their suffering and I knew that I was that they were going to have to go through that. I'm gonna be very honest and say I probably would say no, because I wouldn't want them to go through that suffering. It's not and 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 I don't even know if I. It's the other part of it is I don't see if I'm well equipped to walk them through that suffering either. And but if if I so happen to say yes, and would it make me love them harder? Oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah, because it's. I think it would it would make me want to maximize every single moment because I literally know I have 16 more years with you. And I can't I'm not gonna cry on this podcast, but I can't <laughs> I uh I, I can't imagine that, you know. See see this is interesting though, Troy, is is your response is actually coming from your love. Right? You 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 love them and you don't want them to suffer, but you're saying Listen that and, and this by the way you were you wanted to make a caveat that you didn't really know them. Mm-hmm. But in God in God's situation we're saying no God God knows you and God fully loves you. Well what you get though I I think if you think about this is that you would you, I, I as I've thought about this I think that the answer would be well, that I would want to walk with them more. I'd want to talk with them more. I'd want to love them more. I'd want to be there for them even more. It wouldn't be so much that I'd want to withdraw from them as much as I would want to engage even more, especially knowing that the situation, from God's perspective, the situation can be restored, right? Right. And so God's saying, well, I'm going to engage even more and I want to rectify that situation so that this relationship can be can be restored. This yeah. is what I mean when I'm yeah. saying that I don't think we fully appreciate God's love for us. Mm. That God 
fully and completely loves you. And that means, and now here's the thing then that you have to really think about. It means then that God's love for you is not conditional. God's love for you is not conditional. It's not conditional on, for example, your, your, your choices. So like, imagine then if God's like, okay, only if you're going to choose everything that's right, then I'll create you, you know, and everything's going to go right. Then I'll create you. And then really what you have is actually a very conditional God that doesn't actually love you, but loves the choices you make. It is interesting, though, when you think about this analogy or this thought experiment, I should say, with regards to, you know, the knowledge of your kids, it raises like just a further question to be, if suffering would keep you from, you know, having a child, well, well, what level of not suffering would you bring about, you know, a child or like what, what then actually is the gauge of what is a, a life worth living? Which, which gets into, again, this question about, well, what is it that God actually loves? Does God love the person or does God love the, you know, what, what's happening in that person's life or not happening in that person's life versus God's, God's love for that person? And here's a, a part that I think is difficult for us to really grasp with this, is it could be the case, and I'd argue that it is from my own uh, encounter with my kids, that some of the moments in my life with my children where they've seen my love for them at its deepest is in their suffering, is in those challenges when we've walked through it together. And I know this can be difficult to to see, but it could very well be the case then that in suffering, some of the, you know, you can see the depths of somebody's love for you. Now, I'm not saying, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying then that I'd want to have kids so that they would suffer, so that they would see how much I love them, but that even in the midst of the suffering that I'm still going to love and in that they can see that I deeply care for them and and love them. They they get a glimpse at uh, kind of the, at you, as you as a parent, uh, or for us, we get a glimpse of God and His nature and His goodness as He walks with us yeah. in that's, in our that's own good. suffering. Yeah, that's that's really good. And really, it is a way of God saying, "I respect your choices." Right? Mm-hmm. You the choices that you make are significant. I I'm gonna. Um, arrange the world in such a way that your choices are morally significant. Right. So mm-hmm. yeah. Cause I mean, imagine if God had created you only if he knew that you would make the right choices, which may not even be metaphysically possible, but let's say he could make everyone such that they only choose to do good things. I mean, First, you have to wonder whether you're actually responsible for anything that you do, whether good or evil. Mm. So in removing the possibility of evil, you actually also remove any moral significance to all of your actions. And so in order for us to have a morally significant, really meaningful life, um, the possibility of evil then become, comes into the picture. It becomes part of the picture 
and how it plays out is then uh, up to us. It's in, it's interesting you say that because it it immediately made me think just about how scripture says you need to enter the kingdom as a child. And now when we're talking about it in regards to relationship, this morning my kids were just <laughs> awful. Like, <laughs> so this is my caveat. This morning they were awful. They woke up like moody. They woke up whiny. They woke up frustrated. But they never stopped pursuing me. Yeah. Because even though they were whiny and complaining, there was still a belief that, Daddy, Mommy, you can fix this. Daddy, Mommy, you can make me feel better. Now, it, I may not give them what they want, but why do they keep crying? Because there's a hope that, okay, well, you're still gonna, you still got to make me feel better. <laughs> you're the only one who can fix this. And through relationship, I can teach them that, hey, you actually play a role in this day turning around. You play a role in this day changing. And so when you're thinking about this relationship with with God and why what like do I allow my kids to I mean do I allow my kids to to wake up moody? Well, there's certain there's certain things that I'm like I'm not going to sit over their bed and the moment they wake up and be like ah 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 choose joy, you know, the moment they wake up, I'm going to give them room see how they react, but I'm not going to remove myself from the situation. I'm going to remain available. And so when God is asking us to come, you know, whether, you know, enter the kingdom as a child, it's not meaning that you're going to be perfect, but don't forsake me in the midst of your wrongdoing. Like they're at an age where they don't think about, there's no shame really yet. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're still at an age where they're not feeling this distance there were, you know, they're not having that moment where Adam and Eve sinned and they went and hid. You know, my kids may a little bit, but at the end of the day, they still want me to fix it. They still want to have a relationship with me. So they'll come and apologize. They'll come in because they don't know anything more. This is an interesting part about being a parent. Now I have, I'm on the other end, you know, I've got the, the moody teenagers. You got the moody two, two-year-olds. Uh, <laughs> but What's interesting about it is I, I can't control my kids. All I can do is control me. So I, I can't control whether or, my, whether or not my kid's going to love me, but I yeah. can control whether or not I'm going to love them. Yeah. And it's interesting as a parent, the the freedom that brings you to to just know, hey, you know what? I'm going to love my kid no matter what. And and that that's that's the best I can do sort of idea. Yeah. Now, it doesn't mean, of course, that you're not going to seek to guide them. And, and, and I was talking to my kids about this the other day that, you know, my, my desire is for their flourishing. So I, I want to seek to see them flourish. And that means that, you know, there's going to be times that we'll have conflict and we'll get frustrated with each other or whatever it might be. But, you know, it comes back again and again to this question, okay, do I love my kids? Am I, am I, uh, is my love for them, again, not conditioned? on something else right is it like do i love my kids or do i love what my kids do sort of idea mm. and this i think is really difficult for us when we put this back into perspective with regards to god is again you you have this idea well god completely and absolutely loves you and and yeah. god's desire is for your good and god's desire is for your flourishing so back to the question that the that was written in does does god desire for people to go to hell and and by hell we're talking about broken relationship 
And, <clears throat> and I think it's important just to appreciate you're already in a level of broken relationship. Yeah. Right. And you can come into a right relationship. You can come into a right, right relationship with God and you can start to come into a right relationship with, with people too, right here. And now we, we call this the church, by the way, you can, yeah. you can live in community. And yep. you can either live in good community or broken community. I, again, I think it's hard for us, though, because we tend to only see the broken community. We tend to see the broken relationship. God, though, is, is good relationship and trying to call us into that good and right relationship, but that's going to depend on us. So yep. in other words, does God send anyone to hell? I would say no, but can and and does do people send themselves? Yes. I mean, yeah. think about it like this. Does a judge send anybody in Canada or the United States or wherever you're at? Does a judge some, send somebody to prison? Well, no. Pe- people send themselves to prison. And right? actually, that, oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah. But what's also how Scripture talks about, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw away, you know— it, it's when you think about you know a court the judge looks to the jury he looks to a panel of peers that objectively are looking at the case that you have made for yourself or has been made by the lawyers that are representing you and if the case when they look at the timeline of your life the timeline of the incident does this say that i wanted relationship with jesus then you like you have said this it's then it's saying if you don't want jesus this is the alternative unfortunately that's kind of the way it goes but it there's that that side of it where it would be weird to get to hell and complain you know like it it would be very weird to say what well i didn't i didn't know that this was it it's like well you were given the opportunity to know and and you chose you chose ra- that you would rather find out about this than you would rather find out about God. You know, when on on that note when uh we think about God as a judge, we often um make the mistake of thinking of him as this figure that intrudes into our lives unwarranted. Right, as though God created us, gave us all these, you know, that this free will, uh, these freedom to choose. Because the way sometimes my atheist acquaintances and friends, the way they put it is, well, what kind of a God, right, gives you freedom, and then when you make the choices he doesn't like, he punishes you. It's like, no, that's that's not quite how it goes down. Like he's not just some, you know third party that's unrelated to you that's just intruding into your life unwarranted he's your creator and he has a design for you you owe him everything like i had a really weird well not weird but kind of an interesting question when i was doing this q a a few weeks ago and this young man when he came up and i don't think this was his question necessarily um his wording and he said, well, just because God created us, does that mean da-da-da-da-da? And I, pa- like, I stopped him and I said, hang on a second. What do you mean just because God created me? Just think about that phrase for a second. It's a very spoiled right? so statement. I think, 
Yeah, and I think this this is one of the biggest lies that we believe. I think in our culture is this idea that we belong to ourselves. That well, actually, no, you belong to God, and you are beholden to Him because He is your Creator. He has a design for you. There is you owe Him everything, and there's a certain way in which you need to live your life. And when you break that. And and therefore you break your relationship with your creator who gave you that design. Now you are morally accountable for that. I'm going to say that to my kids next time they're messing up. I am your creator. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think, though, that God gives us these, you know, uh, metaphors or these ways, if you will, of of grasping or grappling with these big questions because uh, truthfully, if you give it some thought, every parent has to grapple with this at some level that you are in some recent, in some sense in the position of, of a creator. You know, you are in some sense in the position of God in that you have chosen to create through your love with your spouse. You have chosen to create a child. And now, again, mm-hmm. don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying you've got God's power, and there's plenty of people who, <laughs> you know, have, you know, either can't get pregnant, you know, I mean, again, don't get me wrong here, or on the flip side, uh, just aren't good parents either, just are, are not nice people, right? I mean, so you got to you gotta appreciate that the, the analogy has its limits uh, yeah. when we're talking about, you know, applying it to God, but at some level, you do understand that, and... At another level, you understand relationship, and you you understand your need for relationship, and so this is this I, I think is interesting. Even with say Steve, what you're bringing up with that with that student, I think a lot of people don't fully appreciate not only their need for God but their need for people. It's why we yeah. ask really silly questions like, "Do I need to go to church?" and stuff like that. You're like, I don't I don't think you get it. I don't think you get what this is all about. That you were created for right relationship, good relationship with people. And that this is what life's all about. That's actually what it means to live, to truly live. But yet we tend to find ourselves wanting to, to break that relationship. Just as I, as I was kind of mentioning before, I know I kind of threw a section of that scripture in, but listeners, I would really invite you to read, read Hebrews 12 when it's talk about God's discipline, proving his love. Part of discipline is sometimes allowing people to succumb to their decisions so that they can see in fullness why you were told to go the other way, told why, you know, and this is, this is also this is discipleship 101, right? You can't control the people. You can't control a person's actions. Like Andy was saying earlier, you can only control how you respond, you can only you can only control your availability to that person. And as I was just basic, very quickly mentioning Hebrews twelve, it says, "Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin." It says, "Especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us." And you can continue all the way down to 12 where God talks starts talking about dis- discipline where he starts talking about the relationship between a father and a child but just remember that you just as we were given dominion to rule the earth in Genesis we've also been given the authority to throw away the sin that that we can be in control of you know a nas- a natural tragedy a storm all these sorts of things 
we are not we we're not in control of that, but at one point we were. We played a role in that being capable by choosing a lot, choosing sinful nature, choosing disobedience. But the death on the Jesus' death and resurrection get, has given us more much more than a way out, right? Just like in Exodus, we were set free so that we could worship him. That is the response to a grateful heart is we need to be we need to be worshiping the Lord and choosing to worship him, not just because not not just because he's at, he's asked us to, but because we desire that in recognition for what he's done. Mm-hmm. Okay, can I add just one more thing to what you're saying, Troy? Because sure. I I think that's a really good point, and I want to kind of look at it more from sort of our perspective as well. Because when we raise the question, well, why? would God create people and why would God create me knowing that, you know, people would do evil things. You can look at it really in a couple of different ways. One is to look at it as though God creates people and then he's just kind of detached as like, you guys do whatever the heck you want and cause trouble for yourselves. Or another way to look at it is when he looked at your future before he created you, Despite all the evil that he saw in your life, apparently he thought your life was worth it. Well worth it. That's another way to look at it. Yeah, it comes back to that idea that uh, that God loves you. And this is a part that maybe is a good place for us to, to close, is realizing that God loves you, but God is also good. And because God is good, it you know we can't put ourselves in opposition to god's goodness and 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 that's what i i i, I want what i'm getting at by this idea does god send you to people to hell does god send you to the does god bring about the implications of broken relationship or do you do that to yourself you know who's responsible for that it's interesting to me that this is a question that you see at the beginning of the bible all the way through is god good and can i trust him you see that all, all the way back, and I think I've mentioned this before, where God's talking with Abraham, and he's like, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to do something great with you, Abraham, and you're going to have a son, right? And, and I'm going to bless the world through you. But yet, right after, you know, right after this conversation, he's heading to Sodom. He's like, you know, this place is going to be destroyed. It leads in this conversation with Abraham and, and God, where he's like negotiating, but what about the number of good people? At the end of the day, this conversation is about, can I trust you? And he says that, surely the judge of all will do right. And he's like, okay, I'm going to just trust. It's interesting, though, when you come to the New Testament, because the disciples are still thinking about this. And you can see this in like Luke 9, where they go into Samaria, they're preaching, and they're not accepting. And, and they're like, hey, Jesus, you want us to rain down, fi- call down fire on these people? And what's Jesus' response? He rebukes them. Yeah. He, he rebukes them. And you see, by the way, it was James and John he rebukes. And in John chapter 12, one of the things that you see coming out is that Jesus is like, hey, if you want to know what God is like, if you want to know what God looks like, look at me. And and what do you see in the person of Jesus? You see the depths of God's love for you. And Jesus yeah. explains, I did not come. He says, he explains this numerous times. I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. I came to save it. So in other words, God's desire is for your good. 
God doesn't want to send you into brokenness. God doesn't want broken relationship for you. Like a good parent, God's desire is for your good and for your flourishing, and that you experience right relationship with God and with others. Yeah. And that this is what Jesus is all about. This is his mission. And he completed that task, and he calls you and I into right, good relationship with him because he loves you. And ultimately, Jesus says this in John chapter 12. I encourage you to look at it. And when he tells about, when he says, do you want to know what God looks like? Look at me. And then he says, you're going to need to trust me. You're going to need to trust that, I, that I'm good and that I, and, and my desire is for your good. This is what any parent, this is the position every parent's in, especially right when they're trying to, a good parent that's trying to lead their, their child into flourishing. It's like, trust me on this. I, yeah. I, I know you want to drink from that bottle that has the skull and crossbones on it, but just trust me on this. That's not going to lead to your flourishing. Yeah. Yeah. Listeners, there's, there, there just kind of comes a point where you just, I have no idea what I was going to say. It came in a way. Can that please make the show? Uh, <clears throat> yeah. So God bless you all. Um, <laughs> listeners with that, I mean, it, it, this is, this is a big question and it's, and it's a fair one. And so again, we thank you so much for, for asking it because it causes us to, to, to tap in again. It causes us to, you know, take a look at our own walk with the Lord. And ultimately the question is, do you, do you trust God? You know, he, he clearly sees something that, that we don't, and it is not dismissive to say you need to trust the Lord. You are not dismissing somebody or saying, you know, by not being able to answer the question in fullness, because the thing is, we're still learning, we're still growing. And, but God has shown himself throughout scripture to be a trustworthy God, to be someone who, who is, who truly is holding it all together for the sake of your flourishing, for the sake of his love for you and walking in, in right relationship, as we said. So again, listeners, thank you so much for tuning into the AC podcast, for watching this on YouTube. Make sure you like and subscribe. Mash the button like everybody else says <laughs> and uh, subscribe to us. Um, make sure you subscribe and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. I'm going to redo this. So listeners, thank you so much for tuning into the AC podcast. Make sure you like this video and subscribe. And for those listening, make sure to follow us on Instagram and, uh, and on Facebook and interact with us. You know, we love getting your questions. We love um, getting, getting pulled on in different directions a little bit in, because we're trying to come up, with, come up with ideas all the time. But until next time. Love God, love people, love people, love people.